When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a special edition of The Daily Briefing, live from New York City with a very special guest, the one and only Weston Nakamura, our global markets editor, who joins us all the way from Tokyo. Hi, Weston. Good morning from Tokyo. I, uh, uh, oh, wait, no, real, I'm sorry. In real life, we're yeah. actually sitting together for a change. Wow, it's actually like daytime and it's market close. How about that? Yes, and hopefully you got some sleep, because usually we're talking to you in the middle of the night when you've been up all night. Yeah, I don't know, night, day, p.m., a.m. <laughs> well, it's going to be super fun to, to be able to do this in person. But before we get started, remember, two days left for our special crash offer. So you want to jump on it. The QR code is going to be on the bottom of the screen. So go ahead and check it out. Okay, so everyone is, we had GDP out in the U.S. today. Everyone's trying to gain what the Fed's doing. But my question for you is, are we paying enough attention to the other central banks around the world? Because we did have movements elsewhere. We did. Um, we, as in you and I, probably, probably not enough, actually. Uh, no. So we had ECB. I know you are. Should the rest of us no. be paying more attention? Uh, I, I am tempting to. I don't think I am uh, successfully. But yeah, ECB was today, too. It's really kind of weird how under the radar that went to um, leading up yeah. to the ECB itself. Um, 75 base points. Um, and then the euro is now, last I checked, is actually below parity, uh, cracked below parity. Um, and Bank of Japan is tomorrow. And the Bank of Japan being, the significance of the Bank of Japan is, uh, first of all, you do have, I, I, I can't believe this is still a trade, but the Widowmaker on shorting JGBs is still on. And you have open interest on JGB futures at, I think it's even like uh, pre start of Abenomics highs. I might be wrong about that, but it's like right around that level. So it's, it's you know, there's a lot of positioning. Um, but the focus is going to be on the currency because the last BOJ meeting, uh, about 20 minutes after Governor Kuroda finished his press conference in which he did not say anything yet supportive, the Ministry of Finance uh, announced that they had unilaterally intervened and we had a five-gen blast down. Mm. And so we'll see what, uh, what comes. Why, why do you say you can't believe that trade is still on? Shorten JGBs. I mean, how many widows? How how big does the graveyard have to be for you know spouses to tell their future widows to not put that trade on? You know, <laughs> like the floor is like there, right? So, but um, actually, what I'm the way the way that I'm kind of thinking about it is, so you and I always talk about you can't um, you can either support the JGB market or the currency market, but you can't do both. You know, you you support the you know you support the JGB market at the expense of the yen. Hence the yen getting crushed to your date um, and the JGB market or, or JGB um, just being, you know, stagnant um, or vice versa. But you can't do both. And what I would say to that is that just don't underestimate Japan's ability to fight the laws of, you know, economic gravity. So 
technically, yeah, you can't do, you can't support the yen or you can't support JGBs and then have the Ministry of Finance just intervene. But Japan probably can do that for longer than we think. And so the way that I look at it is that at like levels where you're getting towards those like new highs, like 150 plus, um, if you start shorting the yen there, that could be the new Widowmaker. And it's just going to be the Ministry of Finance who just keeps coming and doing it. And it'll be hedge funds who will say they cannot do this because they're supporting the JGB market. And the, uh, clearly, we are not going to bet against that. That's the Widowmaker trade. We're going to short the end. Well, uh, Ministry of Finance might just um, create a whole new uh, breed of widows. So I'm going to take a step back because I think there are people listening to this who probably have most of their portfolio in U.S. equity mm -hmm. markets. And so this is your first time back in the U.S., what, in over two years? Yeah, like, uh, pre, well, pre-COVID, pre so totally different world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you you and I were talking right beforehand. Um, this is the first time Weston and I have actually met each other in person, which is yeah. it's just really wild. Yeah. And you made a comment to me, and I often think about this, that um, you were really surprised when you were sort of just consuming the media here again for the first time and not having done it for a long time. And you don't ever hear about what happens in Asia. Mm. Like it's nowhere. You can't even find it. Yeah. And you pretty much don't hear about anything other than U.S. stocks. Yeah. Is that something that, does that leave us with a lot of blind spots? I know, I know we've talked about this before on air, but, you know, sitting here and being in our position now. Um, I, I, no, I see it totally different. I think it leaves enormous opportunity because there's an information arm out there. Ah. Um, like, so I've, this, you know, I, this is like, this is a very short trip. Um, so like, I'm just kind of in and out for just a few days, but the last, what, two days or so I've been here, I've been trying to like watch, cause I don't get CNBC and stuff like that. Like this is like Bloomberg TV, but um, yeah, it's like, just like you said, it's US equity base, right? Mm -hmm. And they'll report things that are happening it like some, some major policy or something in China or whatever it is, or the Bank of Japan or something out of Asia that will move the market that moved E-minis overnight here and will move uh, and then move euro stocks and then it's going to move at um the S&P cash open um but they you don't hear about it you just hear about just like uh fed 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 and so on and so forth um but i think that leaves tremendous opportunity like almost like really low hanging fruit because that is a significant amount of you know capital that is very uninformed mm -hmm. and so there's like, uh, you know, this this info arc, like I kind of have this like I had this like loose theory in which you have these two phenomenons going on. You have the rise of retail trading, which is becoming more and more of a market moving impacting force. At the same time, you also have more and more fragmented news sources. Mm. And so when you combine those and people kind of stay in their own like reality bubbles, right, which is not what you do when you are a trader. You have to be religiously objective is what I say. Right. And but if, if you want to just hear what you want to hear, then people are, you know, retail traders are going to I'm talking about just U.S. single stocks and stuff like that. I'm not talking about talking about macro assets, but they're going to start markets are going to start pricing in different realities. And you can totally exploit that. You can, you know, totally exploit like uh, some of like political bias or whatever it may be. Um, but you can't be one of those people you want to exploit. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So I see the opportunity. That's amazing because I, I did a podcast and I remember a really, really experienced trader saying um, 
I think it was Harley Bassman who said it to me, just said, I, I asked him why he made an enormous amount of money on this trade. And I said, why did you take the trade? Like what, what made you see it? And he's like, it was common sense. I mean, I was looking at it because he had the information and he was looking at it and he was thinking, this makes sense. Like I'm, I'm going to do this. So, so it's interesting that you say that. Um, we've been talking a lot with people who've been coming on about understanding there's a short-term perspective right now. And then there's a longer term view as well, because we've been looking at what's happening with stocks have been rallying. Now they're down today. We had a huge miss on Facebook, obviously, which is just getting murdered today. I mean, down 24%, I think, at the last time I checked. Um, so you see these little moves, but then is it in the context of a bigger framework? How do you how do you think about that? Because you have a very tradery perspective. Mm. So you mean um, specifically with regards so to is meta it, and is, it, or is it a, everyone's been asking, is this a bear market rally, right? Or are yields now, have they peaked and are they moving down because the Fed's going to pivot if we want to take it back to central banks? Yeah. So look, bear market rally, all that, like I, I, I think that everyone has a different definition and people don't know that they have different definitions of them. <laughs> but uh, as far as I'm concerned, when you have uh, an equity market that is just like, you know, plummeting, making new lows, and then you see a sharp V-shaped reversal, yeah, there's probably new longs in there, but that's by and large short covering. Mm. And so like, if I would define a bear market rally as just a massive for, short, you know, short covering um, that, that's happening, and I think that that's, you know, that's underway. I mean, you see it in like, um, like Chinese stocks earlier this week that, that got pummeled. But then you see this massive reversal rally. But you had the reversal rally because of the fact that it was such a you know a, a massive move you know to the downside the, the day before too. So um, and, and then it also it's a matter of liquidity as well. You're going to get more kind of extreme like percentage day over day percentage moves um, as a function of a, you know lack of liquidity and all that too. But um, but yeah, I, I mean I don't see any sort of you can't really call the bottom here necessarily. And the sharper the rebound, the less I would believe in it. Mm. So we, we have some questions coming in. Um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say them all and you can you can <laughs> <laughs> you can decide which one you feel like you're in a position to answer or not, knowing that Wes is not in his usual post and like the rest of us has been running around all day filming other things. But um this is interesting. Peter O, Weston and I had the same exact, we're just talking about this right before we went on air. Why has the VIX decoupled from its inverse relationship to, to, to the S&P these last couple of days? We just commented about the fact that the VIX seems to have gone under 30. Yeah, so I haven't been in front of a trading screen in the last few days, but I would first of all say that the VIX does not have necessarily a, a precise inverse relationship with the S&P, um, with, the, with the underlying index. I mean, this is uh, implied volatility 30 days out on a, you know, a couple of strikes, but um, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that look at, I wouldn't look at the VIX right now being sub 30. Is it sub 30 right now? It's 27 okay. is where it was. Yeah. As some sort of like, oh, what, what a sanguine market, yeah. you know, by any means, um, you know, I think, I, so I would have to look at the front, like the, the front, like end of the VIX curve, if it's inverted or not. I suspect that you have your front month futures contract that is trading slightly lower than its next. Um, that if so, it might be just a function of that, but uh, I can tell you. Uh, what I would say that is that like, just don't look at those things as kind of correlated. Look, them, look at the VIX and look at uh, SPX as just two separate 
like instruments or indices um, and and look at it that way rather than as like a sort of correlated or co-related pair. Mm. By the way, um, as if things were bad enough in Techland, Amazon uh, sinks 16% on week fourth quarter earnings. So it looks like it's going to be tough sledding again for the tech space. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Um, we were talking about central banks before, and I asked you, um, we were talking about the Bank of Japan. You were also tweeting about the Bank of Canada, another another central bank that almost no one pays any attention to, yeah. except you, Jared Dillian, and Brent Donnelly. <laughs> All three of you have been really focused on that. But. Uh, I think a few people have. Um, look, I'm not like laser focused on it. But so what, what I did was yeah, I put out a video in uh, earlier this month, I think, um, but this is basically about like why we need to pay attention to global central banks outside of the Fed. And I cited four central banks that were the most overlooked or kind of under, you know, under the radar, underappreciated uh, central banks that could potentially be not necessarily canaries in the coal mine for like the Fed per se, but for a global tightening cycle to potentially top out, um, if not reverse. Um, those four being the Bank of Canada, the Reserve Bank of Australia, Reserve Bank of New Zealand, and the Bank of Korea. And uh, the Reserve Bank of Australia, um, you know, tilted a little bit dovish. RBNZ, I thought they would be a little bit more dovish. They, they weren't. Uh, Korea, the Bank of Korea is kind of bipolar um, with, you know, being dovish and hawkish. But, um, you know, they're, they're, they're very concerned about inflation, but they're concerned about growth as well. But yeah, Bank of Canada, I mean, they went from 100 basis point like hikes, was it two, three meetings ago? Um, down to 75 and now they went to 50 because you're seeing, you know, um, I think now it's two or three consecutive months of uh, declining CPI trends. So, mm. um, look, I, I'm not saying that the, that's where the U.S. or the you know European economy is headed or the U.K. for that matter. Um, but what I will say is that this is central bank policy divergence and data divergence that is underway. It's flat with the theme that you and I have been talking about. Mm-hmm. For years, so. that, that, and you have been, yes, and you have been telling us to pay more attention to Brian T., uh, from the RV site, this is kind of shorthand. Maybe you know you you've had this conversation with him before. Treasury ten year three month versus ten year two year spread? Yeah. Question mark. Yeah, yeah. So he's referring. So look, I don't know where those are. I'm I'm assuming that the the three month ten year has inverted, um, which is the Fed's. Yes. It did, I think. Did it? Yes. Okay. Is the look, Fed's pr- preferred? Yeah. yeah. I, look, I'm not, I, I don't. I have no market for like prices or anything like that. I have no market, <laughs> like, so, if, so I'm just going off the top of my head. We're I'm like, come on the daily briefing, because... have no information blindfolded, <laughs> be on, off your vacation for three days, and we'll have a conversation about really technical well, well, things. <laughs> I, look, I, I might be totally wrong, but I'm assuming that 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 question is coming because the the three month ten years has inverted, and if that has inverted, as opposed to the two cents, if that has inverted the three month. Um, then that's kind of the the like the warning sign, the the red flashing sign of like okay, Fed is starting to break things, and you can see that reflected in markets in yield curves. Mm. Um, to what degree I actually you know subscribe to that, I don't know, but um, 
Yeah. I think it's significant that that happened because because people believe that that's a significant occurrence. It therefore is a significant occurrence. Yeah, there there was um, there were some tweets. Uh, I, I don't know that we're going to do a tweet of the day today, but there were tweets about um, some indications residential fixed investment. I think it was uh, showing a decline in that sort of reflecting a really weak ISM. So you can see a steady drumbeat of people who are looking who are thinking that there are some signs coming in that the Fed is going to have to take, stop being so aggressive. Not not ease, but stop being so aggressive. I just wonder, though, whether we're kind of forgetting about the inflation part of that. I don't know if we're getting ahead of ourselves. I mean, this is the conversation we're having with everyone, right? Yeah. I just I just taped something with Jesse Felder about this uh, that's going to air early next week, too. Um, I'm of the camp that, um, like, Bianco says this, um, you know, quite eloquently and, you know, has been pounding table on it. But I, I, I'm in that, that camp of, um, so the Fed made a drastic mistake with transitory. Um, if they're going to make a policy mistake, they better not make the same one twice. And so mm-hmm. you can't pivot, you, you know, like even if they know that they're going to destroy something, let it be a new thing that they, a new mistake. Don't do the same one in succession, right? So... Uh, even if they know it, you know, like what I don't really like is when that's people a real, say like, that's the, a really interesting point. Weston. Like the central bankers, they have no idea what they're doing. Like, let, they, they have an idea what they're doing. Okay. They, 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 let's just assume that they are, they're not like complete idiots. Right. But they might know that this is going to happen. There's going to be adverse consequences, but they're just like, they cannot make the same mistake twice. That's not, so they're going to have to go that way. Yeah. You know? that, that's a really interesting point. Yeah. It, 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 that brings up another one. And that's the fact that we're. I'm sure that you've noticed since you've been here that all you're seeing is political ads, like no place in, in the world. It's We're in the throes of elections here and it's just endless and mindless. But uh, the midterm elections, mm-hmm. any any thoughts on how that could impact what's going on? I mean, the, the idea was that uh, the Fed, you know, under political pressure to tap down inflation and they're going to have to maybe hold that posture until after the midterm elections. I don't know how much I buy that. I feel like people are already starting to complain about the fact that growth is slowing and getting concerned about a possible recession. So it seems like they're going to get hit from either side and no one will be happy. Yeah. The way that I would, if I were to factor in the midterm elections into markets, which I don't factor in that much, but if I were to find a way to, I would actually look at it more so as it's not so much like what I believe. It's what I believe that others, the that market participants will believe. And I think that the uh, Liz Trust thing is still fresh in people's minds. And the the notion of markets will punish you if you are fiscally irresponsible. And so if that is something, if that is a narrative that people are believing, then if, the, you know, if you get, um, you know, a, is blue wave a term still? I don't oh, know. Oh, I, I think that's that's <laughs> that, not. Yeah, that? you you have not been here. I think yeah, that they're yeah, thinking the that house is yeah. going to go to the Republicans. Yeah, so. the, the house the house will go red. Yes, um, and Nancy Pelosi can trade and, and all that kind of thing. But but no, no, I think that um, if if it does actually tilt towards, even if it is Republicans, but if it tilts towards something of fiscal responsibility or whatever, you might actually get um, uh, maybe a potential attempted sell off in the long end of. Uh, the U.S. yield curve, but I, I don't believe that that's 
I don't believe that what happened in the UK guilt market was a response to that. That was more so a technical thing where you broke through a, a, a 4% level and then that trigger and then the liquidity that triggered a lot of, you know, and then just, you know, kind of force unwinds and scrambling around and, you know, um, just the chaos such that the Bank of England had to come step in. Um, but it wasn't like a fundamental response of like, um, oh, the government is, uh, you know, how are they going to pay for these tax cuts and all that? So, but that's the, the tie I would have and not so much like uh, with Fed sort of independence or not. Mm. So Paul B, uh, we're going to shift back to Japan. Will Japan sell treasuries to backstop the yen if, when they run out of reserves? It seems like a hard pill to swallow given that leads to more pain. No, um, they won't. You want to? <laughs> so this I got. So that's a a, a present a, a from present. Weston. That is from the Bank of Japan headquarters gift shop. Uh, in that is literally shredded up paper currency, like uh, <laughs> like yen, like thousand yen, or whatever denomination it is. Like I don't know how like ironically like uh, ironic or like you know completely you know out of touch they are when they're filling their pan <laughs> like their gift shop with like we. But this right here says. The Bank of Japan does not give a F about the yen. <laughs> um, so, so much so they're sticking it in their souvenirs. Yeah, so, so, but but to, to answer that, so when you say like Japan's going to, if it gets to the point where Japan needs to start, the largest credit in the United States needs to, um, the, the sovereign, not, I'm not talking about the private sector, which is, has been selling, right? Because of how, like how high hedging costs and volatility and FX. But if the sovereign has to start selling their U.S. Treasury holdings, that's when you start to get this actual sit down with uh, uh, with uh, Secretary um, Yellen and discuss. Okay, what are we going to do about this this runaway dollar? Because we cannot have yields, borrowing costs in the United States spiking, um, and that's what will be the trigger for like a plus accord sort of thing. I would think. So. Uh, you have been telling us for a while that we ought to be paying attention. So f first of all, we should be paying attention to more of what's going on around the rest of the world so we can get that information arc, which I know we're trying to help people do here. Um, you've been also telling us that you like watching FX because it's the cleanest thing you can watch to get a get a jump on the on, on the trends. Uh, dollar. The dollar has been backing off. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly where it ended today, but um, does that feel, does it feel like we put the top in for the dollar? Or is that top and what time frame uh, uh, and what cross okay yeah well, so well, well, what, what time frame like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like a week like uh, or near like... term near term um so here's what i'll say so uh brian if you the ch if you put up that chart uh... by the way brian's here nick's here tomaso's here <laughs> yeah, brian, yeah, brian. <laughs> we brian. got the whole crowd behind the can, scenes can you please put up the chart i believe it's the one it's the the, the pink essentially <laughs> um uh, usdjpy and the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. So if you look at this chart, essentially what you're seeing is um, this is like the, the you know, the, the interventions. The first one was an actual intervention. The second one, I do not believe, this is kind of a non-consensus view, I don't believe that the, uh, the Ministry of Finance actually conducted uh, the intervention, um, for, you know, most recently. And one of the reasons is because, and I just tweeted about this, when you have that first intervention, okay, that was a, a you know, one BOJ meeting ago, um, like I mentioned it earlier. Um, and when you slam dollar yen down in a very non-fundamental manner, um, and like five handles down in 20 minutes, 
and 10-year U.S. Treasury yields are going the opposite way. Well, that non-fundamental divergence, yeah, that should happen because you're just smacking markets around like completely, you know, uh, in, not according to fundamentals. However, this last one, you saw a top in dollar yen alongside a top in U.S. Treasury yields. So this seems like actual market participants, you know, and market fundamentals kind of in line. So uh, whether or not it sustains, I don't know, but it seems much more sustainable from, from a dollar yen cross at least um, than... Um, than, than the previous, um, but mm. we'll see, yeah. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. It, it's hard for me to think that they were all in D.C. together. Do, do we really not think they had any conversations? Oh. The cent- the, you know, all the Treasury secretaries, all the, you know, all the finance heads, all the central bankers and their staff were all down there. Yeah. They had to have a conversation. Of course, yeah. So the conversation, so this is what I think is that uh, what I said at the time was um, the statement that came out was mostly just about Ukraine. And then what they said was, we acknowledge that there's volatility in FX markets. However, we are adhering to our May 2017 um, communique. And May 2017 communique was something along the lines of FX markets are, you know, they are subject to market forces. Um, so AKA, we're not going to do anything about this. Like we're, there's no, there's no like, uh, inter, like coordinated intervention or whatever. So with that said, if, and when Japan does another intervention, um, this is, you know, they, they met after the, the unilateral intervention where, where Japan just sold 20 billion USD without the US treasury's permission to do so. Um, if they do it again and officially declare that they, do, they, they did it again, then I suspect that they're doing it with the secret blessing of Mm -hmm. the g5 saying go ahead and do it um we know it's temporary anyway uh it's only gonna last a few days it's gonna get dollar is gonna get bit up anyway but at least it'll like put like you know you have our kind of wink wink nod nod go ahead do it just to stem a little bit of the dollar you know runaway dollar yeah yeah that's my that's my suspicion as well but they're not gonna they can't officially say that you know? No, no. But it's, it's yeah, it's impossible because if they were unhappy with it, then there would have been, you know, there would be, and Yellen just keeps sidestepping the question. If you get a hint of any sort of like coordinated dollar, like from the U.S. Treasury, you're going to get a massive crash in the dollar against like, all, you know, and then you're going to start importing inflation. So. Which cannot happen yeah. in this environment. Um, we have a lot of questions about, uh, um this 10-year, three-month inversion, even though, because not everybody catches the very top. Um, but is this, do you look, you just said before, I think that you don't necessarily, not that you don't buy, but you you don't see that as a real harbinger for, oh, there's a recession coming. I mean, do, or do you even care about that? Because some people who have very, very trader perspectives are not really that bothered by the fundamentals. They're looking more for you know, strategic trades they can put on. No, I, I care because people care. Mm. So like, I don't, I, I, I'm not like um, religiously tied to one specific indicator or this or that or whatever it may be, or one print or one specific ISM or whatever it is. 
I care that people are looking at it. Just in the same way that like Powell started to all of a sudden care about like University of Michigan consumer sentiment. And now therefore everyone cares about the, you know, right? Sa same thing. So I, I don't dictate that. I let markets tell me what they are looking at. And therefore I will look at that as well. Mm. Like resistance levels, like the, this might be psychological. Fine, it's a psychological, but if it's going to be acted upon and traded, it makes it a real resistance level. And so yeah. therefore it's, a, yeah, so. So um, is that significant to you that it inverted then? I would say, so if I were to look into it right now, I would look at, uh, I would look at futures volume on 10 year US treasuries. Because there are no futures on three-month um, bills, but there are enormous amount of uh, futures activity um, on, on the ten-year uh, tenor for futures. So look at that and see if there's anything happening within the futures market, and if that end of the curve, if if you're basically getting a you know like a, like an inversion because of the tenure and if it's driven by an abnormal amount of futures uh, options you know, volume on, on listed derivatives um, at the longer end. <laughs> uh, Paul, um, sorry, Ralph asking, what does Weston make of the recent incident in China where Hu Jintao was assisted off stage from the party <laughs> Congress? Um, uh, look, I, <laughs> like tea leaf reading, um, I, I don't, I have no idea. It's, uh, look, it's something, right? It, it I is, just have, I have no idea. Um, I, I think that what you saw, the, the equity market reaction you saw um, out of China following the party Congress and Xi Jinping basically surrounding himself with his yes men um, is not market positive, as you can see. And uh, it's not COVID zero lifting of any time soon and, and you know, and so on and so forth. And so, um, you know, I was going to make a like a kind of be me being a clown, like a video of like what she said, like that's, that's what she said, you know, uh, <laughs> to kind of cover, cover through like everything. But she actually I couldn't do it because he actually didn't say a lot of things about the things we were waiting for. So um, I don't know what that means. I just know that it means probably means something significant. And um, I think we know what the markets felt like it meant. Yeah, yeah. And that that message was pretty clear. What will be interesting is to see what the response is from you know, whether they expected that or whether they were surprised at the intensity of the market response you have to and if really, that caught them on. Uh, yeah, I think that with, with that, you have to really look at who we kind of, you know, like surround himself with uh, in, the, in the PBOC and sort of his like his his economic and, and financial team uh, around him and if they are actual market people or not, or if they're kind of bureaucrats and they're probably the latter. And that's not good. And military, militaristic, I think is what the read is. Um, by the way, don't forget, part of our make or break whole thing dedicated to China. So we will be covering that intensely there. Um, second part of that question, does anything look good on the long side in Asia to you? On the long side in Asia? Um, I mean, the, the dollar trades in Asia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it keeps working. Yeah, look, uh, look I, 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 no, I mean, look, I, again, time frames are different, right? Um, so, like at this moment, if I were to put on a trade, yeah, I would go, I would go long, um, like rates futures because that seems to be the momentum right now. I could go long the yen on maybe like a uh, call spread or something like that. But again, these are just very like short term speculative momentum uh, plays and all that. Um, long side. Yeah, that's why I asked you short term, long term, because I have a I, I see people who are talking. Some people are being really nimble and they feel like 
well, if your equities, that things got very overdone and exhausted, but it doesn't mean they're not still bearish. They just felt like there was a momentum swing they could jump on for a while. But but if you ask them any any time horizon out, they're still really, really cautious or they're really bearish, but they're willing to short-term play. There's a big distinction right now, it seems like, between those two things. Not that there always isn't, but it seems very, because if somebody comes on and it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling more positive about equities. Well, that doesn't mean they are long-term. So the, I think right. t- the time horizon piece of the equation is super important right it's, now. It's, it's totally good because you could have two, you're having two separate conversations. You know, like yeah. I'll, I've gone long and short, you know, yen futures, you know, multiple times within a week before, right? Like, I'm not going to like advertise this every single time I'm doing that, but, um, <laughs> but it, you know, the, the you don't want everyone front so. running the trade you're putting on Weston. Yeah. I don't think I have that kind of market moving power. <laughs> um, Nick was supposed to give me a wrap, but we're out of time, right? <laughs> he didn't want to interrupt us because it, we were having too much fun, but we are out of time. Weston, it was so wonderful to have you here in person. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah. Maybe um, maybe, maybe I'll meet Weston in Tokyo next. Ah, great minds think alike. Uh, no, it was terrific. But very seriously. Dollar Yen 150. <laughs> thank you for, for helping flag all these things, though, because I, I sure. think that your point about the fact that we're kind of in this news vacuum, um, and even if you're watching from somewhere else in the world, you know, the, the fragmented media, maybe you're just hearing about what's going on with you. If you're sitting in the UK, obviously no shortage of news there. But it feels like we're in that kind of environment where we can't just pay attention to the environment where local market we're in. We really need to understand how all these global pieces fit together because they're having an influence on the markets. They're not just moving in isolation exactly. anymore. Like, like this is like something I want to make clear is that like uh, a lot of people are like U.S. centric. I'm actually of that agreement um, that the United States is pretty much the center of the universe. And as such, you have global market participants and their activity and their flows that come into the center of the universe. So just because the center of the universe doesn't mean that it's because of the, you know, it is. That's why you have to pay attention to global sort of factors because things that are happening with the JGB market, that's going to pull out, you know, flows from U.S. treasuries and have yields spike and volatility and the move index spike because things are happening out in, you know, BOJ land. Um, but they're huge participants in this center of the universe, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so that's why uh, I'm not of that of the, you know, uh, the view that America doesn't matter because it matters. Uh, everyone is invested in it. Everyone has exposure to it, and then therefore, other you have to be cognizant of. What do you hold that others hold and what are they at risk um, uh, exposure to and all that? So, yeah. Do you think the FX market is going to stay as hot as it has? Because, you know, for there were years like where everyone, uh, yeah, everyone left it. I mean, it was, you know, it was very, very quiet. Not a lot. I mean, it's been on fire. I mean, I, I just was, um, we're doing an event with a bunch of the heads of the Asian exchanges next week. And they've had huge, they've seen huge growth in FX trading. It's been, a, it's been a big part, so, big boost. So I think that FX, I think that um, active macro trading is going to be FX, yeah. very much FX uh, driven, if not markets themselves, um, because of policy divergences, because of economic divergences and all that. Um, kind of one idiosyncratic thing from Japan. So like Roppongi, if anyone's familiar, on the corner, there was like, uh, for the longest time, there was DMM is a like Bitcoin sort of trading platform, retail trading platform that had like this like ad there that got switched out. And now that from Bitcoin now to FX. Really? So, I mean, 
we're, they're not trading Bitcoin anymore. They're not trying crypto anymore. That those guys are going twenty five x levered on uh, FX trading on fiat currencies. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll we'll see what happens. But that that's a great. You have to post that one for us. Yeah, we'll do. All right, excellent. Well, we're all gonna head out for happy hour. But thank you all for being with us. Uh, we appreciate it. And Andreas is gonna be back same time tomorrow with Michael Guyot. So that should be a fantastic conversation. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.